Hey, I'm Sachin. And I'm Adam. We interview the best leaders from around the world and unpack their failures, successes, and ideas they're passionate about. We do this because we think the best learnings in life don't come from a textbook. Rather, they come from open and personal conversations. Thanks for joining in and enjoy the episode. This is one of those episodes that could have honestly been a book. This week, we had the honor of exploring leadership with the CEO of Deloitte, Adam Poick. We discuss authenticity in leadership, making career decisions, and just becoming a better person. As always, if you love the episode, subscribe and shoot it over to a mate that may find it interesting. I won't annoy you anymore, and you are definitely in for a treat. Welcome to the Sachin and Adam show. We're very excited today because we've got a huge guest. We've actually got the CEO of the Australian division of the largest professional services organization in the world. So there's going to be some great chats today about lessons of leaderships um, and wisdom and advice for younger people. And a big goal for me today is not to get fired before I start my job because our guest today is actually my future boss because I'm going to be starting at Deloitte next year. Um, And I'm not sure if my guest knows that yet. Oh, no, I do now. (laughs) (laughs) Very excited today. And I'll um, hand it over to Sachin to introduce. Yeah, Adam, we are so excited to have you on today. As Adam said, it's not every day you get to talk to your boss. And in a firm that has as many people as Deloitte does, this is a very rare opportunity. So Adam, you're the CEO of Deloitte. And a lot of people listening will immediately see you in a certain kind of light as one of the largest professional services firms um, in the country. So we'd love to start off by asking, who are you without Deloitte? You spent your whole career here. Who is Adam when you strip back the green dot and who is he at his core? Oh, no, it's interesting question, uh, Sachin. What, what I'd actually say is I don't think you can strip out Deloitte from who I am. I think we are the sum of everything that we do. That's work and play and friends and, and family. So the real Adam is, and I like to bring the real Adam to work um, to, to, with my friends, with my family, every single thing that I do. But if you look at me, I suppose, how would people describe me? I, I grew up pretty knockabout part of, uh, of the world and um, so I'm pretty down to earth um, I'm definitely a straight shooter people would say that I, uh, I I don't tolerate bullshit I just like to say things as they are I got a cheeky sense of humor um, and uh, don't mind poking fun at myself and the world uh, around me I'm intensely curious uh, about things and learning things and um, and always challenging uh, myself I'm always interested I'm, I'm, I get bored easily so I'm always interested in challenging myself and trying new things um, so, and at the end of the day, I'm a, I'm a family guy. I've got three great kids. Um, I love food and drink. I love catching up with my friends. I still play cricket. You know, I shouldn't be at my age, but I still run around and play cricket. I love my golf. So I'm, I'm pretty down to earth um, sort of guy. And, and I like to be who I am at work as much as I am outside of work. Yeah, that's a very comprehensive view of you. And so you mentioned that you're a pretty down-to-earth bloke. And something that you've mentioned before as well is that you come from a working-class upbringing, which is a little bit unusual for a lot of big CEOs. Some people might say a lot of CEOs come from more privileged backgrounds. So I'd love to understand from you, from your background, did you have any early sort of inspirations or experiences that really informed the path that you're on today? No, look, I, I'm, I'm the most surprised of anybody that I've ended up in this role. I mean, just really, I was just a knockabout lad for the northern suburbs of Melbourne. Um, but the inspiration is your parents, I think, for me. Um, and they, they gave us kids the 
I don't know, the curiosity and the freedom to explore um, what we wanted to do. There were never any expectations on us. Um, I finished school and then I had no idea what I want to do. My dad was a, 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 an engineer and uh, my, my mum was a nurse. And, and I thought I'd just try engineering. I did pretty well at maths. Um, and I went to a place called RMIT. And that sounds pretty um, nice now. But let me tell you, RMIT, when I went there, was third tier. It used to be known as the Working Man's College. Um, and I did a, a quite obscure degree, aeronautical engineering. Um, so I just, because it was interesting, you know, aeroplanes. So that's pretty cool. You do that, you realize there's no jobs at the end of it. But uh, somewhere through there, I, I got um, an opportunity to go into IT as a graduate at uh, a company called Fujitsu. And then from there, I just kept learning and growing and, and joined Deloitte in 92. Um, so no, the short answer is I've never had a plan in my career. That's actually really important. All I've done is try to learn new things. Um, and if I have a go at something, I have a real go at it. Um, I, you know, I don't muck around. Um, I, I have a real shot at it, try to be the best I can be at something. So my inspirations were probably my parents who gave me the freedom to explore. Um, but no one could have picked someone from my background would end up in this role. And I certainly, I mean, under no circumstances could I have ever predicted that. And it's a weird and wonderful world when you give yourself opportunities along the way to learn and grow. Yeah, yeah Adam, just a bit of a um, tag on question to that. But was there anyone in your childhood, maybe in your university days that would have predicted that you'd become the CEO? Like you mentioned that you didn't think so yourself, but did anyone see like a spark in you at any point? No, it's a really critical point. It, it was, um, I don't know, at, at university, they used to uh, circle the problem students. And so every time I went into the lecturer's um, rooms, uh, my head would be circled in red pen because I used to turn up to lectures and in my sleeping bag and fall asleep on the front row. I used to, I used to just, I was a complete rat bag, just so you know, I was a complete larrikin and rat bag. There's no way I would have got recruited today because um, I was just too raw. But the first person who hired me, took a pun on me, interviewed me, created a graduate position at Fujitsu where I went. Um, he later on in life said um, he, I was the most talented kid in terms of potential he ever hired and he was a very quite a senior guy so I, yeah so the trick is then i had a few people early on mentor me they saw something in this rough diamond um and by the way if there's one thing in life that you learn it's mentors are critical people who are, are going to invest so yes there were people that uh, now i look back on absolutely saw potential in me and they went out of their way to look after me and give me experiences and just every now and tell me about my behavior and, and just to help me understand what was good so yes it was early on in my career i look back there were probably three or four people that really saw something that i didn't see myself and uh and helped uh realize my potential yeah adam and what you said about mentors is kind of the reason adam and i started this podcast we can come in with the facade of having a podcast but get mentored by some of the best people in the world um so yeah we're very lucky with that yeah, and nice adam work, you mentioned guys. <laughs> you mentioned um, you didn't have much of a career plan when you're in your early 20s, maybe 30s. And something I think our audience would love to hear is your mentality to making career decisions. Because we live in the world where our young graduates are thinking, planning, I'm going to do two years here, two years here, network with this person, try to get here by 35, have kids at this age, move to New York, et cetera, et cetera. So how do you think about career decisions if you do? And what, what is your advice to people who are 20 and 30 and trying to plan what they want to do with their career? Well, so certainly everyone's very different. So my wife and I are very different. My wife knew she was going to be a nurse when she was three. Okay. And then she planned that and she became a nurse, a theater nurse. Um, I took a very different view. And, and by the way, I th my counsel would be don't limit yourself because a plan limits you. Okay. Um, give yourself an opportunity for two or three years to grow, to learn. So the way I always did, hey, this is interesting. 
If it's boring, I stopped doing it. If it was interesting and challenged me, I kept learning. And, and a couple of things I did, other than mentors, I always took every opportunity around me. Sometimes, you know, it was taking me out of my comfort zone. Every time I had a chance to do something different, I, I did that and to learn. And I was really good, it turns out, I look back now, building relationships, building networks. I tell you, your success in life and career comes down to how good, how strong your network is. It's actually, that is the critical thing. So I always invested. Um, I look back, it was more natural on who I was and who I grew up. But I look back, that's the number one thing I did. And if I look at the critical moment in my career, uh, would be um, when I was relatively young, I went to the US for two years with Deloitte on a secondment. I had a 13-month-old kid. I had a daughter over there. We could barely afford to live. I went to Seattle. Um, but that was a big risk. You know, that's a, took me completely out of my comfort zone, going to a, another country, working there, trying to succeed. I completely changed my perspective on the world. Um, but that's a classic example. If I hadn't have done that, I would no way would I be in the position I am today. So you've got to take those calculated risks. But I have never planned what my next role is going to be because people who do that limit themselves. I've always think about how can I grow and learn and build my network. And wow, amazing how the universe opens up when you do that. Yeah, that's fascinating. And that's something I definitely wouldn't have expected. Normally you picture CEOs as people that are strategic. They sort of see this ladder and they're trying to climb up it. But that's fascinating to hear that perspective. So you've mentioned that networks are very important and taking opportunities. I want to know, is there anything else that you did to try and go in above and beyond to learn more? Like when you're in your 20s and 30s, did you have any sort of tactics to understand more about how to be better at your job, to understand more about certain industries? Or was it really just working hard, doing the job? Well, no, two things. I, every single time I did something, I'll try to learn. Um, and a couple of things. Every time, the harder projects, you learn more when you fail. So I failed a lot. Um, and I actually say that the people who succeed the most have failed the most. Um, but what we do is we learn. So, yeah, every time I'd have a tough project, a tough engagement, a tough situation, I'd step back and I'd, I'd learn uh, from that. So that was actually a really critical you know, thought process as I you know, went, went through my career. Um, and so I, I, did, I did do things thoughtfully. Um, one thing, I got a friend, uh, I did aeronautical engineering. It's pretty obscure, you know, mathematics and, uh, and science. So he, he told me to do an MBA. One of my mentors told me, you need to do an MBA. So I did an MBA um, in my mid-20s. Took me six years. I had no kids when I started. I had three kids when I finished. I was traveling Melbourne to Sydney. It was bloody hard, but I did that. It rounded me out. I learned about economics. I learned about accounting. I learned about business. I learned you know, about HR. I learned about those. So yeah, I did that. And from then, I've always tried to learn new things. Right now, I'm learning about um, things like climate change. I'm really uh, indigenous history and and indigenous culture. Uh, I'm learning a lot about that. Uh, I'm learning about future of work and where work is going. So I'm, I'm but I'm learning. I'm reading. I'm discussing with others. I'm talking to other leaders. So yeah, it's, it, it, but it's also deliberate. You have to make some deliberate decisions. That's a set of skills I want to learn. And then you go after it. Um, that's, so that's how I think about that. Yeah, I love that. It feels like there's so much authenticity that you're a naturally curious person. You're a learner and you just, that seeps into everything you do. And just taking the slightly different sort of pathway now, um, you've obviously had massive experience as a leader. You're the CEO of the Australian division of the largest professional service organization in the world. And I think that there's a lot that we can um, sort of get from you on that. So would love to sort of go on to the idea of whether there's been any really big lessons of leaderships that you've sort of gained from your career over the past, maybe couple of years or the past 10 years, what you've really learned about being a leader. Oh gosh, there's, there's a lot, I suppose. And, and I've it's had global roles. I had um, Asia Pacific roles. I've had many different 
leadership roles. Um, for me, um, it starts with a very conscious decision. It was just, it's, an, it's an interesting thing that you're going to lead. There's a massive difference between management and leadership. Okay, so you actually have to take a conscious decision that you want to lead and be a leader. And that means you have to be prepared to have the, and that, that takes some courage. Because when you lead, you're going to have people that criticize you because you're going to make decisions. You're going to you know, take your team or your business in a, in a different direction. And so you have to have the courage and you've got to, but you've got to have the conviction um, that you're, you're ready to lead. Um, so that's really important. You can't lead unless you are curious because you can't lead unless you're going to develop as a leader. Um, so they go hand in hand. That other point I just talked about, that self-development as well. I think you have to be willing to um, innovate if you're going to lead. That's a lesson as well. I mean, if you do the same thing day after day, even if it's good, that's not leadership. <laughs> you're not going somewhere new. You're not taking your team or the world or your business or yourself somewhere new. So just being really restless and curious and being able to innovate and drive differently. And I think the other thing I, I discovered about leadership um, is, is no bullshit. Uh, don't talk the game. Actions speak louder than words. And they do in life. Um, it's nice if they come together. If you've got, you know, consistency of word and action, that's the best. But if you're going to say you're going to do something, then do it. And so I think um, what I've learned about leadership is you actually got to make decisions. You've got to take action. You've got to drive outcomes. And the final thing I'd say is you've got to bring people along with you. <laughs> you're not a leader if you're doing it by yourself. Um, you know, you've got to bring people on that journey. You want to listen. You want to engage. You want to motivate. You want to encourage people on that journey as well. So they're, they're just some thoughts, Adam, that I would, I would play. Yeah, yeah I think just, you guys actually. Yeah, I was just going to say, we can really resonate with that. And Adam, this is a microcosm to Deloitte, but with our podcast, we're managing an intern now. And you think you're a good leader in high school, you're a prefect, you're this, you're that. But when it actually comes to standing up and being there all the time and leading by example and yep. working in the same client, it's a whole different ball game. And it's something that I realize you have to work on. It doesn't really come naturally to anyone. And it didn't come naturally. Trust me, I wasn't a prefect at school. <laughs> oh, I was the I was the person in the principal's office. Um, I was a complete rat bag and larrikin. And I fought the um, leadership. Just so you know, the Australian culture is interesting, particularly the culture I grew up in, uh, which was sort of tall poppy syndrome. And so you just throw rocks at leaders. That's what you do growing up in, in our culture. And it took courage. It took me quite a long time to accept. That's why I make, say making a conscious decision. I was probably well in my 30s before I actually had the courage to say I'm willing to lead. I was probably, people saw me as a leader before them, but I didn't see myself as a leader. So the sooner you can get into your own head that it's okay to lead um, and that, that it's okay to be criticized, it's okay to make decisions, um, the better. So I took quite a long time to come to terms with being a leader in my career, if I'm honest. Yeah, that's really interesting and very inspirational to people to hear that you're in the principal's office and not one of those prefects from a young age. That's oh, awesome to hear. And just a slight follow-up to, to that question. You mentioned at the beginning that there's a difference between a manager and a leader. And obviously in a lot of organizations like consultants, consultancies, investment banks, you do hear all those manager positions. And so I'm interested in fur furthering sort of what is that distinction between having managerial skills versus leadership skills? Yeah, no, and they're related, um, and one builds on the other. But managerial skills is you can manage a task, you manage an activity, you manage a team. You, you, you can do what you're meant to do, okay? Um, you're given a task, you do that. You do that competently. That's actually important. Um, a leader, though, does more than that, okay? In, in addition to the task, they're actually improving that process. They're thinking forward. They're thinking about, if I do this, what do I need next? How can I do it better? How do I develop people within that team? 
So they're actually creating more a legacy. You know, it's a process of continuous improvement. Um, and so I, I see a lot of people who manage competently. By the way, it's a step. You need to, to be a leader. You need to be able to manage something. You need to be able to deliver uh, consistently and reliably. But leaders step out of that and they actually challenge themselves to go somewhere else. And I, as I, you know, I often say that there's nothing worse than doing the same thing day in, day out. You know, you've got to challenge yourself and others to how you improve that particular task. So that's the difference for me between leadership and management. Related, but leadership for me is where you make a true impact and you have that, that future and innovative view of a particular task. Yeah, and just on that whole leadership style discussion, Adam, something about your leadership is authenticity. It shines through to everyone I've talked to about you. As a grad, I open your emails and I see you juggling balls and then discussing um, things that you've been thinking about. And it's honestly such an amazing thing um, from the lower parts of the organization. But I imagine this unique brand of leadership may come with some challenges. Like you mentioned, you're good at um, building relationships and I can completely see that with the authenticity you bring. But has there ever been a time when that authenticity has been a struggle for you? You'd have you'd have to snap in and out of what comes naturally to you. Oh hell yeah! Oh okay, absolutely. And I think authenticity needs to come with self development. Um, because I was I was I actually mean this in an old fashioned sense a larrikin. I had a great sense of humor, but I was a practical joker. Uh, I not always take things seriously. Um, I was a bit of a nightmare sometimes um, around the office and things like that. Um, I didn't make partner uh, for the first two times I tried. I missed making my senior consultant, which is mid-20s um, promotion. Um, I missed a range of promotions in my career. I missed becoming CEO seven years ago of Deloitte. And there was a consistent theme to that, is that you see the joker. You see that person who likes having a good time, connects with people, has a beer. But does he have the gravitas? Does he have the substance that sits behind? That cost me in my career uh, multiple times. Um, Ultimately, what so being authentic is you've got to be smart and authentic. You have to learn um, and you have to understand how you're perceived by others. Um, and that's really important. I didn't get that early enough. And so um, I'm authentic. I believe in authenticity because at the end of the day, the only thing you can be best at in life is being yourself. You're not going to be better than anybody else and anything else. That's the number one thing you can be best at. So you've got to be yourself, but you've got to be smart because you've got strengths and weaknesses. So learn how to elevate your strengths learn how to manage your weaknesses, surround yourself with the right capability to, to um, you know, complement your strengths. And so there's things I've learned. So yes, over my career, being truly who I was did hurt. Over time, though, you become more rounded. You become wiser. You get your mentor. You listen to people. And you, you become a better person, a better professional, a better leader. And so I'm very comfortable in my shell today. But at times through my career, yes, I've had to make those adjustments with support from the mentors and coaches around me. Yeah. And what immediately comes to mind is the concept of business chemistry. And Adam, you'll see this next year when you join Deloitte, but we do this thing where you kind of see everyone else's personality that you work with. And my God, is it like effective? You really see how people work. And Adam, I think for everyone listening everyone is getting somewhat aware of their strengths and weaknesses. So what are those kind of more tactical things you did to improve on your weaknesses? Well, just on business chemistry, just so we know where I land, I'm a pioneer, which is a very innovative, more risk-taking, and I'm an integrator, which is a very people sort of oriented. Exactly yeah. the same so that's, that's so, Yeah, okay. So that, but, there, but there, there, there's no right or wrong, by the yeah. way, but that just happens to be 
um, who I am. Um, well, the number one thing is I listened. Um, I didn't listen early enough to my mentors, but the number one thing you do is ask people. Ask people, okay? And the question I would leave, and it would always be the thing I'd leave this team with, is one question that is so critical in a career. How am I perceived? Mm-hmm. Think about that for a second. That is not as how, how do people view me. Um, it's not, you know, what are my strengths, what are my weaknesses? It's how do people view me? How do they think about me? How am I perceived? It's such a critical question. And I didn't realise I was, I was perceived as a joker. Yeah, good with people, pretty smart, you know, potential, but a rough diamond. I didn't realise that. And so that is a really critical question. So I would ask people that I trust. And you need to ask people close to you, but you need to ask people one, two steps away from you. I only interact with you reasonably and frequently because they're going to have a different perception of you as well. So, yeah, I would ask. And, and then I had some great mentors. And it's not one. Have multiple mentors from different parts of your life. You can bounce things off. They can give you feedback. You can test ideas. Um, and so I did it very thoughtfully um, at a point. I wasn't ideal. It took me probably five, 10 years longer than I should have. I look back now, I would have, if I spoke to myself today, I would have said, for goodness sake, Adam, ask that question continuously as you go through and listen to the answer, you know, um, and, and understand the answer. And then I would, I, uh, the other step I would say is a few years ago, I became a leader in Asia Pacific. I'm an Australian. I'm quite a, you know, blunt, straight talking, you know, fun loving sort of Aussie. I go up into Japan, Korea, China, India, uh, across Southeast Asia. I had to moderate my style. I had to learn how to communicate differently. I had to learn how to carry myself differently. It was a great experience for me, a very maturing experience for me. Um, and I learned how to, to actually leverage um, different communication mechanisms and modes and be more thoughtful, um, speak more, think more before I spoke, be more attentive to cultural differences. So putting yourself in different you know, situations also helps you be a better leader. Yeah, that is, um, that I resonate with that so much personally, because I think you'd find this, Adam, but sometimes when you're in a room, you almost have to be a bit more vulnerable, a little bit more funny to get the vibe going. And there's some places where you almost take that, um, that job upon yourself. But then, as you say, how does that make you be perceived? And I think that's really important for everyone to reflect on. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I've got Another question that I feel like it's sort of really burning in me to ask. You've mentioned a number of times that you were this larrikin person. You ended up becoming the CEO of Deloitte. I want to know, like, what was the, when did you switch and why did you switch? Because it seems like there was a point, maybe in your youth, in your younger years, whether that be at university, where you started to take a more serious turn. What was going inside of your head when you might have made that turn? It wasn't conscious. It's a great question. I haven't fully uh, shifted. People know me, are close to me. No, the larrikin still sits there. In fact, the sense of humor has been really critical for me through my career. And again, that plays to authenticity. We're all always leverage who you are um, and, uh, and strengths. I just probably overplayed that a little. Um, it probably, as I started to really, really lead teams, and there was a critical moment in my career where, and it's, by the way, it's a challenging moment in your career where you realize you're becoming a role model. And, and that, was, that was a really stunning thing for me. I was probably a role model years before I realized I was. But when you do... And you realize that everything you say and do, people are watching and they're learning from. My goodness, that is a real learning moment. That'll happen to all of you. It happens to everybody at some point in your life and career. You become a role model. And there's just a sense of responsibility that comes with that. And you, you realize you, you actually do have to be more thoughtful. Adam, for me, that probably was early in my partner career um, where that was becoming more clear to me that everything I said and did was actually being watched and emulated and learned from from others but that for me was was the critical moment where you realize you 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 do have to be more thoughtful 
about how you carry yourself. Um, and it's a really critical moment in one's career. Um, and if you, if you adjust to that and you embrace being a role model, then your leadership career will just really go, uh, go gangbusters from there. Yeah, I definitely resonate with that. I think in high school, um, I was like you, I was a bit of a joker, a um, couple of detentions here and there. And then you sort of get into like year 11 and 12 and you have to start doing things like peer support program. We've got to mentor young kids. Yep. And when you've actually got influence over the people and they start to pick up your behaviors, you realize that you have this sense of responsibility and accountability, like your actions actually matter. And yeah. so I think that's something that I'll definitely yeah. continue to feel. Yeah, and the other thing I'd say is when I became a father. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. the other thing yeah, that... That you say you grow up becoming a parent, you just you grow up uh, immediately. You just have to, uh, to to look after this little thing that's completely helpless um, and matters more to you than life itself. So yeah, somewhere between parenting and becoming a role model at work, you you do start to get a bit more wisdom and, yeah. and clarity of what it means to carry yourself properly. Yeah, I can imagine being a father, definitely the ultimate role model. And um, switching to a bit more of a tactical question now. So we mentioned that most of our audience are 18 to 25 year old people that are at university now and they want to be future leaders. So I'd love to get from your sense, what's the sort of advice that you'd be giving them early on in their career? Early on, it's really interesting. Um, I've, I've obviously covered a few things today, but um, take opportunities. Um, so and do things, you know, so someone gives you, um, an opportunity when you start your career and it might look like a pretty boring role but but do it learn from it i mean i remember the first things i got given gosh this is shows how old i am uh, well i was asked to help prepare a presentation we used to use foils and texters okay that's how we used to um do it and i thought Gee, that's a um pretty boring thing to do but i but then i but i asked a couple of questions why are you doing it that way um, why are you putting doing it in this order? Why are you using a word like that as opposed to this word? So I, I was curious. So what I'm saying is every single thing you do in life and in your career, you learn from. Uh, that, that is the number one thing I would I'd give people advice. And then build the network. So I said that just, it's funny. Um, and I always built the, the network with the car park operator and the CEO exactly the same. I grew up, that's where I grew up in Northern Suburbs at Melbourne. I treat everyone exactly the same. Take that attitude. Um, because it's going to matter. And I can tell you that car park operator often was more important to me than, the, than uh, some of the senior people when I was starting my career. Um, you had to sneak in after hours or something like that. It was always very important. So, you know, treat everybody as important. That is a really critical point um, as you start your career. Build your network and take that attitude. And I'd also say give to get. Um, you know, give into relationships. Don't just expect things to come back because over time the universe absolutely comes and supports you if you've been giving into those relationships so a mix of relationships and, and taking opportunities would be what i would say on top of things like self-awareness that perception question and continuing to really think about what you can learn um, and skills you can learn so they're the sort of things i would say yeah, Adam, yeah, I love that last piece of advice, the give to get one. I think young people at times can be very impatient with the sort oh, of people they meet and they're indeed. often just wanting everything straight away. So you do have to have a sense of patience and give, give, give before something comes back. And, and even transactional at times as well, Adam. Like you mentioned the being impatient, but sometimes people can see things like when you say, Adam, relationship building, I think some of our audience would immediately switch to, okay, let me reach out to this, this, this person so it looks good. But it seems like you've done it in a very authentic way. It's got to be natural. It has to be natural. There's nothing worse than someone um, coming to me saying, I want to have a cup of coffee because you know they don't want a pay rise or a promotion. That, that's, that's not authentic. You do it naturally through your connections, your work. And as I say, the car park operator is actually a really nice one because I used to just connect and just have a chat. 
and and that there was no reason other than just humanity there um and and just interest in in other people i just think that's really important trust me i'll say one thing i can spot someone who's transactional in a relationship in about four seconds if, if it's not authentic if it's not real um you know we don't get to our positions unless we can see people who are doing it for the right reasons and so always do it for the right reasons it doesn't mean you're not thoughtful about the relationships you want to build but do it for the right reasons and show interest in the person not the, the role that they have that's really critical yeah such great advice and adam i feel like you could almost write a leadership book based on this podcast so far but something i'm really curious about is what a good life looks like to you obviously you have so much responsibility right now and you mentioned before we started recording you have all these hobbies so what does like a good life look like for Adam and what would make you proud looking back on your life at the age of 80? Gosh, that's a good question. I think, um, and it's not for everyone, but, but I think um, let me, it's, it's how you develop people is the thing that makes me most proud. So first of all, it's your children um, and so your family. So if I'm 80, my, 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 my children, our family's still close-knit, they've done well in their lives because uh, that's the ultimate sort of, people your mentor or the, your, your close the people close to you um and you and you've got that that network of friends it's still vibrant hopefully it's at 80 hopefully it's, we can still remember each other's names and those sort of things um you know we're, we're, we're together at an 80th you've got a group of people that have grown up from different backgrounds and we're together i think that that would mean a lot to me um at that point but the thing i get most pleasure of out of uh, professionally is the people that i've helped mentor and watch them grow through their careers become partners become leaders in their own right and that, for me, is my ultimate legacy. And I think it's the people you develop is the ultimate legacy. And that's the thing I see. And, yeah, there are things I want to do, um, you know, uh, professionally in terms of having Deloitte lead the way and our company lead the way on climate, on, on, on flexible work, on, on leaning in and making a difference on First Nations. There's some, big, there's some big agendas I want to do. But I'll be more proud of the people that I've worked with, that I've connected with, that I've stayed in contact with, that I've grown, that I've mentored. That's the number one thing I'd like to someone to say when I was 80. Yeah, that's, um, we hear that a lot. Just this concept of lifting others up and it almost seems like yep. a legacy, right? You can, you're, you can outlive yourself with all this impact you have. And just on that point of all these people you've mentored in your career, obviously you've been at the green dot apart from your grad job for your whole career. Have you ever had curiosities in trying out a different industry, a different company, or has Deloitte always just been your home? I was going to ask that exact same thing, Satch. <laughs> well, there you are. So I might have to answer it twice then. Um, so look, just on that, I, I, um, I think one thing people don't uh, understand enough is that in, in a big organization, you have multiple careers. I've had probably 15 careers, um, never more than, say, four years in a single role. Uh, but even most recently, I mean, I was sitting here in March this year running a 20,000-person practice across Asia Pack for consulting, fast-growing. And this, this role wasn't on my agenda at all. Um, the, the previous CEO resigned for personal reasons, and then I was asked to play. So I wasn't on my agenda. I had to make that decision. Um, but I thought, no, that's, that's a new challenge. That's a new opportunity to make an impact at the way up a range of things. And, and I've already said I only want to be in this role for four years. So I'm saying that... Um, right now so i'm not gonna i don't believe people should ever be in roles too long but the point people don't realize is within an organization you know i've had that 15 roles um i've, I've worked in the us so i spent a lot of time in asia roles i've had global roles I've had a whole range of uh, great roles um and they've all challenged me but what i've done is before i've stagnated i've moved so the, the if you start to stagnate you, you feel yourself you're not growing you're not challenging yourself that's the warning 
okay? But that doesn't mean you have to change jobs. It means you need to look for something different in the environment you're in. And by the way, the most valuable thing to you in your career and life is your network. So I watch people changing jobs um, and going to different organizations. That puts them back two, three years because you've got to rebuild your network. So I've, I'm, I'm a believer in networks. I've got a, a fantastic network globally in Deloitte. Um, and I'm always one degree of separation away from any skill, any port, point of assistance that I, that I need. And I've done that very deliberately, um, but just who I am over, over the years by playing many different roles. So I've never stagnated. So even though I might've been one uh, uh, career, one organization in many ways, session, I, I hasn't felt that way. It's felt like 15 different careers over my life. Yeah, what you just said, Adam, that's actually the reason why I wanted to go into consulting because you can wear so many different hats and work for different industries. And I was going through the interview uh, process for Monitor Deloitte and we met quite a few partners and they'd been at Monitor for literally their whole life. And my burning question was always, what kept you there? Like how, like for me, it seems like quite unusual often being at the same organization for 20 years. And they all said to me, they felt like they've had 20 different jobs. They've worked in a number of different industries different skills are being developed and completely different roles. And that seems like the very sensational thing about consulting. And I hear a lot from the, the youngsters coming in now that's saying, um, look, I want to, you know, I'll work here for two years. I'll work there for three years. I'll work there for two. So I actually challenge that, um, you know, that to some extent, because oh, I look at a resume where people's moved around. I asked the question, why didn't you sustain? Why didn't you do something new in that organization? Why didn't you leverage your networks, what you'd learned to go and do something else? And I just think that, that I'm obviously someone that has done that. And there's nothing wrong with a few key shifts through your career, but but I don't I, I see changing what you do every two or three years or three or four years is more important than changing organisations, um, and I think that's why they've stayed the Monitor Deloitte uh, partners. That's why I've stayed um, all the way through, and I'm learning right now my new role heaps every single day. I'm le- I'm drinking from a fire hose. Um, so here I am at, at 56 years old and learning like I was when I was 18, and that's really cool. And I imagine those networks you've built as well have just compounded over the years. And that's another benefit of staying in the same organization. Well, yes. But one, the one thing I've, I've learned is never underestimate. Like you, you look at your, your friends now, you're, you're 18, you're 20, you're 25, you're 30. And what you don't know is all half of you are going to end up, or if not all of you, in meaningful roles. So some of the rat bags I grew up with, uh, you know, titans of industry now, and, and they look at me going, Jesus, poet, how the hell did you end up there? But, but the thing is you do grow together. Um, and that's another reason to maintain contact. And, 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 and that's really important because people end up, particularly those that have ambition and willing to challenge themselves, they're going to end up doing interesting stuff. And just, you just stay in contact all the way through your career. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's such a good lesson. I, I think that's actually one of the most important lessons from the podcast. Because as you said, Adam, the young grads of today, the people we all meet, it's all very planned. It's like two years here, then going to move to private equity, then going to move to a hedge fund or whatever. But <laughs> the idea of like, if you really love the organization, there's probably going to be scope for you to have different roles. Um, really, really important lesson. By the way, one thing I'd say, life gets in the way of any plan. <laughs> and you have to, the, the number one characteristic of people that succeed long-term is adaptability. Um, and ability adapted. I mean, we didn't plan a, a global pandemic, for goodness sake. You know, um, so the people who have learned from that and have adapted through that are going to be the ones that go to the next level in their careers and their lives. And so adaptability, not, not a rigid planning. And watch that. I, I think there's no harm having a frame and an aspiration and a set of goals. But you've got to, as opportunities arise, you assess them. Um, sometimes they arise unexpectedly, like this one did for me six months ago. And you assess it and you take those opportunities if they're right. 
that's one thing I'd say. I'd, I'd, I'd just watch getting too rigid in, in people's planning because um, life happens. Yeah, no, that's wonderful advice. And we're going to move on now to the quick fire round, which is oh, one, of my favorite, round, yeah. Yeah, one of my okay. favorite times of the podcast because we really get to dig it sort of deeper into some of your inspirations. So for this round, we're going to ask you a question. Um, you have around 30 seconds to answer. We're going to ask 30 seconds. Oh, that buzzer. Okay, that's important. Okay. 30 to 60 seconds, whatever no, you feel like. No, no, <laughs> you ready for it? Yep. Cool. First question, what's one of your favorite books and why? Well, I'm reading right at the moment, so I'm probably looking at what I'm reading right now, it's Dark Emu, um, which is about the history of colonisation and how it impacted Aboriginal civilization in this country. And in fact, how sophisticated Aboriginal civilization was at the point of colonialism. And, we, and we, I grew up, we didn't learn anything about Aboriginal First Nations history. It's extraordinary to me. Um, so really learning about, it's really fascinating. I'm really learning about that. Also reading a book called Ikigai, uh, the Japanese Secret for Long and Successful Life. Uh, fascinating books. There's a couple that I would just throw there. Current reading for me. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I read Dark Emu at the start of this year and definitely a lot of insights I never learned in high school. Absolutely. Second question, what's one of your favourite podcasts and why? Actually, no, this is a confession. I, um, it, it tends to be just sporting interviews. I mean, I like hearing. I grew up, I played a lot of cricket sport. I love hearing. So podcasts that, that take an interesting sporting character and they just talk to them about their career and their learnings. Um, and so it typically, it's not a favourite, but I, that's what I look for. But I look for interesting characters. Like if Tiger Woods is on there, you know, you look at people who have had interesting careers and have learned and have failed. Um, so I, I look for characters like that. So I do listen to um, sporting podcasts um, and, and characters and, and lessons. I, I, I think we can learn a lot from sport, interestingly enough. Well, I'm going to ask a question I wasn't going to ask, but what's one of your favourite sporting players or coaches? Wow, there's a there's I got a heap that I would I would say. Um, well, you got to go back a bit. I'm old, okay. You got to go back. Um, but Mark Taylor was an Australian captain um, that came in at a really interesting time and took uh, and really built a culture, uh, a really successful culture. And I, I I thought he was a great leader. Um, I grew up with Greg Norman as a sporting idol. Now that's going back a long time, of course. But remember, he was a trailblazer in the Australian from an Australian perspective on the global stage. Uh, confident and bold and represented our country really, really well. So there's a couple that I would say going back. Uh, and now at the moment, it's people like Elise Perry. I, I, I just uh, I follow the Matildas. I follow the women's cricket team. Um, they, 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 I just love the way they engage. My daughter's played sport. Boys, they throw tantrums and uh, they, they act. And girls don't. It's like a more legitimate sport for me. I just uh, I love watching it. And, and it's, it's straight down the line. So Elise Perry, Sam Kerr, some of those... Uh, you know, idols I would have at the moment. I watch very closely. I reckon they're great. Awesome. Uh, next question. Who's a leader that you've always looked up to, but you've never met? He was, um, well, I mean, I grew up when my generation, Nelson Mandela was probably the leader we all respected for the stand he took. Cause I think courage is at the heart of leadership. And, uh, and, and if you look at how he changed the world, I, I think Nelson Mandela was one, an interesting one. I, I would think right now, and she's retiring, um, but underestimated. But uh, Angela Merkel, I yeah. think, of our time, I think is, is probably the most substantive leader of the last 10, 15 years globally. Um, and part of that's longevity, but part of it's just that, that stable you know, leadership presence that she's had. I think we're going to miss her a lot. So there's just a couple, I would say. Mm, great answers. And next question, what's one of your favourite hobbies and why that you do completely outside of any work or reading? 
Oh, I'm a cricketer. I still play cricket. I still play over 50s cricket. I represented Victoria. I'm getting a bit older because the trick is you get 50. The trouble is 50-year-olds, they're like they're cheats now because I'm 56. So they come in, they're all young, these 50-year-olds. Um, but I'm looking to play for Victoria in Adelaide in February. Uh, so I still run around, play my cricket. I love my cricket. Um, look at this. Just got myself a new cricket bat. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, what's your, what's your average this season, Adam? No, we haven't started yet because of lockdown, but we start on November 14. So we're all looking forward to playing cricket uh, <laughs> once we get out of COVID. So I'd say a, a bit of a passionate cricket tragic, uh, I would say. Adam. Any cricket memorabilia in your office? Well, no, well, this is my office, okay, right now. So, <laughs> so I'm going to stop bad. I'm going to go cricket bat. That's not bad. Um, <laughs> but yes, I've got lots of cricket books. I've got Adam Gilchrist. I look over there. Keith Miller. I've got a lot of cricket books and um, yeah, things. Uh, but I also have golfing memorabilia. So they're the two. So this is my um, this is my my pitching wedge, uh, <laughs> oh, the chipping golf balls on me. So yeah, no, it is very much a sporting study um, yeah. to keep me. I feel yeah. like you've just got all your equipment like right next to you that you can pick up. <laughs> I, I know that's it's no, actually, I it's because I'm actually practicing with them. That's how sad I am. But, but I but I love my sport and I love challenging yeah. myself uh, still as I get older. Well, that's one of the great things about doing Zoom meetings and when you don't have to have your video on, just do a bit exactly of exactly right. In the background. No, exactly right. I get caught out every now and then. Get the cameras on. <laughs> love that. Uh, the cover drive. <laughs> well, um, yeah, those are great answers. I'll hand it over to you, Satch. Yeah, and um, Adam, we'd just love to finish off by asking, what's your favourite dumpling place in uh, Melbourne? Uh, yeah. you've obviously, you've got the inner word. Yeah, no, I love my dumplings. And I've, I've, I, I'm on the search for the world's best dumpling, which happens to sit in Shanghai, you know, uh, the original Yang's Fried Dumpling in Shanghai. In Melbourne, um, the, the original, you got to David and Cammy's. It's an old place that, that was doing it 20 years ago. Um, it's just in a little lame way. No one knows about it, David and Cammy's. But the, the absolute gourmet one, the gourmet one, is the truffle dumpling at Din Tai Fung. Yeah. uh you know it's pretty expensive but uh well worth well worth a go that that absolutely slaps and adam just want to thank you for your time it's not i think when most people think about the ceo of deloitte they think about someone they'd be sweating to meet but i feel like adam and i would love to even grab a beer with you like it's your your authenticity shines through and really appreciate your time and if there's one final thing we ask we asked this to all of our guests and i know you've kind of answered this before but if there's if there's one piece of advice from your 56 years on this earth that you'd like to leave our audience with, what do you think that would be? Um, for me, it, it is be yourself. Um, don't try to be someone else. Learn from others, listen to others, but be yourself and, and create and craft your own path. That would be my number one piece of advice. Love that. Great That's way nice. to end it. I think there's just so many gems of wisdom in this podcast. Thanks so much for that, Adam. That was a brilliant episode. Oh, no, good fun. Thanks very much for the discussion. Have me on. And hopefully some of those messages resonate as well with you. Yeah. So and good uh, luck no, with the cricket people. and going back to the office. Yeah, no worries. Yep. Yeah. Looking forward to seeing people in person again. How cool will that be? That'll be very cool. <laughs> Wonderful. All Thanks, right. Adam.